Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3 is where we find ourselves this evening. Going through the, the Bible, we started in Genesis and then moved into Exodus, leaving Egypt and all that, and Leviticus, talking about the law and God's way and God's people and numbers, numbering the people and seeing what's going on and the work of moving through the the wilderness area. Deuteronomy is a repeat of the Old Testament law. Moses kind of sums up the commands and all that had gone on in those years of wilderness and all that the Lord said from Mount Sinai and boom, um, put it together in the book of Deuteronomy and then the book of Joshua. They crossed from the, the wilderness wandering into the promised land. God says, take it wherever you set your foot is going to be yours. And he divided up the land. He gave them great victory over all the big armies and, and uh, military people over there. And their, their one job to do was to continue to expand and clear out all the stuff in the land that was just going to hinder them. Remember, we talked about that over and over again. The people and their practices were very sinful and evil and wicked. They would offer their children on sacrifices, all sorts of uh, sexual immorality going on, uh, all sorts of stuff happening. And the Lord said, listen, you don't want any of that in your land or it's going to be a bad influence on you, man, and it's going to take you places you don't want to go. And he warned them over and over again. But as we got into the book of Judges now, um, we know Joshua died. And uh, there was, as we talked about last week, you know, they, they just didn't take all that God had told them to do. And um, he said, you know, it's, 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 it's not going to go well for you. And you, you need to listen. You shouldn't have just settled in and settled for less because uh, that, that's going to influence you in time to come. And so we kind of find ourselves now in the book of Judges. Um, we'll, we'll actually run into now. We kind of had just a little bit of history of where they got to the first couple of chapters here. Chapter 3, we'll actually get into the, to three judges this week. Now, remember, judges aren't the guys sitting behind the bench with the robe and the wooden gavel and standing there and uh, guilty or whatever. No, it has nothing to do with that. Really, the word could be better translated heroes or, or deliverers. Um, that's really what it means. These guys were risen up, taken uh, from the people, as we'll see, just regular people, uh, men and women, and used in a supernatural way. And so uh, these are the judges that we're going to be talking about. So uh, let's go before the Lord once more, and we'll pick it up there in chapter 3, verse 1. Father, again, we ask that you'd move by your Spirit in our hearts and our midst, that we might learn from these things. You've preserved them because they have uh, great... Um, uh, provide great insight and uh, information and love and encouragement because though um, they may not have electricity like we do or cell phones or computers or jet airplanes or space shuttles and space stations and all that kind of stuff, yet they were all people with the same desires and problems and heartaches and dreams and hopes and and, and all those things, they were just like us. And uh, Father, you want to teach us and show us and learn from, from the good examples and then to learn from the bad examples that we might not repeat those mistakes. So help us, Father, to learn and to see and to take hold of what you have to say to us this evening. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Judges chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now... 
These are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars of Canaan. Verse 2 says, this, is, this was not only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it. Verse 3, namely, the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites who dwelt in the mountains of Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. So we're getting a little bit more information here that the Lord hasn't given us before, a kind of a, a clearer picture of what's happening in the promised land. And remember, as I just said a few moments ago, the Lord told them way, way back in the beginning, before they even got into the promised land, I mean, way when, when they were heading over there, out of Egypt, and they were heading over there, God says, listen, whatever you do, make sure you, you drive all the inhabitants out of the land. You've got to get rid of all that stuff. When you see their stuff that they worship, and you see their gold this and this, don't, don't get involved in any of that. Just get rid of all that stuff. And, uh, you know, get rid of everybody. You, you, you need to clear that land and it'll become yours. And of course, we talked about, you know, for the last few weeks, actually, that they didn't do that. And they left some of the people there. Um, and again, at first, it wasn't easy. Uh, they get into the land and, and, and the people, the inhabitants, they didn't want to leave. They, they didn't want it. They wanted to stay there. So there was some uh, struggle. There was uh, some pushback. Um, and some of them still had some chariots we talked about last time, and they were a little fearful of those. And even though God had delivered them in miraculous ways so many times, it's, a, it's kind of amazing how we are as people. God did miraculous things, uh, you know, a year ago, two years ago, six months ago, and then, you know, the next problem comes along, and all of a sudden we're kind of like, ah, you know, what's going to happen? And we kind of lose sight of you know, how God's delivered us and brought us and done great things, and the next problem seems so overwhelming and it's kind of sad, well, I can't speak for you, but for me, I, I assume you're, you're like me, that, you know, we just don't, you know, I'll walk in there with some faith and some trust. Lord, you were there before. You brought me this far. You're not going to leave me now. I, I trust you're going to get me through all this. And, um, but, uh, you know, they didn't do that. They eventually, you know, just kind of gave up a little bit, shrank back. And then when they did kind of get stronger and had the ability to, 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 to get rid of them all, they, they didn't do it. They just didn't let, didn't do it. They didn't drive out those people um, who were there. Of course, you know, they, they didn't do that. Now, but we hear, read in these verses here that because they didn't, God in his divine, uh, you know, prerogative, his d divine ways, he, he said, okay, you, you chose not to leave them, to get them out. And we talked about it last time that, you know, that, okay, they're going to stay there. And I warned you against this, but now he's also doing this. He is um, allowing some of those people now to stay, and he gives the certain ones that he is going to because they didn't drive them out. Now, he chose not to just drive them out himself. Now the Lord could have just said, "Okay, you don't do it," but but I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna get rid of them all. I mean, the Lord could have stepped in and just done that, right? I mean, he could have. He could have gotten rid of all those problems and difficulties and. And, and temptations that were out there, the people wouldn't do it, but God's still God. He could have stepped in there, but he didn't. He chose to leave them there so that he might work, do a work in his people, that they might, um, again, have uh, 
some uh, some teaching, some background in in battle. Because now that might sound funny. It might say a little, well, why would the Lord want his the people there to prepare for war or that they might know how to fight in battle? Well, the reason they did that is because there was going to be battles. I mean, there were a nation that other nations would want to attack. There was going to be battles in their lives. There was going to be times of war. And again, I can't help but think that's just really kind of a picture of our Christian life as well. I mean, the Lord could have just, you know, taken away all the temptations and all the problems and all the, you know, the, the, the temptations we face and could have wiped them out. You know, we could have just, you know, had a great prayer one night. Lord, just, you know, sanctify me and just get rid of all those temptations and trials and, and things that I have a tendency to want to go towards and just, just get rid of them all. And the Lord doesn't do that. The Christian life isn't easy sometimes. There's a lot of enemies out there. And, uh, you know, we can get caught up all too often in uh, just trying to get and work towards being comfortable and not towards walking in the Spirit and trusting the Lord and realizing there's battles here. We want the battles to be over, finished, done, and done with. You know, no more enemies, no more temptations, no more, uh, you know, spiritual battles and all this stuff. We're always kind of working towards that. And, and the Lord says, listen, you're going to have those. And you need to be prepared for those things that come your way. Now, there's, we're certainly more physical with enemies coming in, but they would have to learn to trust the Lord as, as much as we would. It, it wasn't about their ability to be super strong. The Lord wanted them prepared and gives them pre preparation. But at the end of the day, it was trust in him that he would deliver them and take care of him as he had promised. But the same thing is true with us. And we just need to be careful not to always want to, you know, get caught up in, in the in the comfortable things and move towards trying to get comfortable in this life. You know, sometimes, you know, we might have uh, a cross or something or a necklace or something and, you know, a picture, you know, uh, of the Lord or some Bible verse we have out there, you know, and, you know, we, we, we look at that and, but, you know, the cross was a struggle. The cross was, you know, tear, uh, tears of, of, of sweats of, of blood and tears and, you know, great difficulty, you know, overcoming and paying for those sins. And I think, you know, some people would probably want to rather have a, you know, a, a little cell phone around their neck instead of a cross or something or a remote control or something. Because, you know, we just sometimes have a tendency to want to, you, you know, just get caught up in the comfort of things, just as they did. They didn't want to press on with the battles. Yeah, there was battles, and yeah, there was this and that, but, and Lord could have taken care of them, but he chose not to. He said, I, I, yes, you should have cleared them out, but you didn't, and now there's going to be struggle, but I, I want to use that to work in you and do great things and to strengthen you by my spirit. And, and again, we wonder why wasn't the Lord take away all the temptations and spiritual battles at once? He chooses, in, in our case, as really in their case, so that we might trust him. Well, Lord, why don't you take that temptation? Why don't you take that desire away? And the Lord says, listen, uh, I'll give you the ability to, to not go there and be a part of that and do all that stuff, but it's got to be something that comes from you. We're working together on this. I want to work something within you. He could just deliver it all, but he chooses not to because, well, what that causes us is to mature as Christians. And maturity, you know, 
it, it takes work and it's time and it's patience and it's trusting and it's faith and the Lord's always moving in those directions, just like he's doing here. Now, there was also another reason the Lord left them, and it tells us in verse 4, it says, And they were left that he might test Israel by them, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All those ites there, right? You know, he, he also left them so that a choice could be made. Uh, and the same thing could be said for us today. Who are you going to serve? You know, remember the old, when Bob Dylan came up with that, that song, and it, it's got a lot of, you know, truth to it. Who are you going to serve? Those things are out there. You now have to make a decision who you're going to serve. The Lord didn't create robots, Right? He didn't progress, program us to do this and program us to do that and then you do this and not do that and, and, and then do this and stay away from that. He didn't do that. He gave us free choice. And just like in their day, he said, you know, they're there. Now, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to serve me? Are you going to choose to love me? Are you going to choose to do the things that I call you to do? Or are you going to give yourself over to those other things? And the same choice is for us today. There's all sorts of enemy encampments. There's all sorts of place of worship. There's all sorts of temptations out there. You know, you got the, the bar down here. You have the pot dispensary over there. You got the dancing thing over there. You got the cars over here. You got the, you know, whatever over there, entertainment down here. You know, whatever it is, it's, you can find it if it's around. And, and you know, what, what are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? We got to make a choice. And the Lord says, listen, you know, you need to make a choice. Now, all you, you, you choose me and, and walk with me. I'll fill you with your, my spirit and I'll lead and guide you and I'll give you the ability to have victory over all these things. But at the really, it's a decision that we need to make, a decision they needed to make. What are you going to do? How do you think they chose? Well, let's see what they chose. Verse 6. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to, to their sons. And they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals or Baals and the Ashtaroths. What did they do when there was a decision? Are you going to go the way... We would say of the world, are you going to go in the flow of what things are going on in the world and in society and what people are doing? And they said, yeah, we're going to integrate. <laughs> we're, we're, going to, we're going to be connected with them. And, you know, they started just to do what everybody else was doing. That's the bottom line. They decided not to be separated under the Lord. They invited all of what everybody was doing and decided just to go with the flow. Hey, it looks like fun. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's doing it. Let's head in that direction. Let's think that way. Let's listen to that. Let's go there. Let's do that. Let's be a part of that. And again, it's the same thing we have today. We have to choose. And what are we going to choose? And again, somebody might say, well, why does it have to be so hard? 
Why can't it just be taken away, these things? Well, because the Lord wants us to choose him. He wants us to make that conscious choice as I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to follow after these desires or these things that everybody else is doing. I'm going to get caught up in that. No, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. He, he wants us to make that conscious choice. And we need to do that. Now, does it go against our, our normal way of thinking and the temptations that would lead us normally in that direction? Absolutely. But he says, I'll be with you, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll strengthen you. Boy, he gave them all sorts of promises to do that they would have great victory and great things. It also brings up another point, and again, I try to beat the drum on this, but because um, I think it's so important, just we need to be careful what and who we connect to in our lives. These guys connected in pretty much every way to things they shouldn't have been connected to. And we need to be careful what we're connected to. Now, yes, certainly it's pretty clear here, you know, dating and marriage, absolutely. Um, and, and again, in our society, when you're dating somebody, you know, generally the idea is that you lead to a deeper and deeper relationship. Now, not everything works out that way, and I understand that, but generally that's generally the flow. And, uh, you know, we need to be careful in that. Who are we dating? Because we don't want to get our heart caught up in people uh, uh, that, you know, just don't really serve the Lord, really don't know the Lord. Well, they might have something here or there, and we try to make it seem better than it is. That's always a mistake. It should be a warning. It really should be a warning to us. Don't get caught up in those things because it never ends well. I, I, I've just seen it over my years. It just I've never seen it end well. And the same thing goes true with friends, who you hang around with. Now, we might tell our children and those that we love, hey, you know, be careful who you hang out with because they're influencing you. But the same thing is true with us as adults, who you hanging out with, who you spending time with, which direction are they going? It is an influence on your life. You have to make a conscious decision. Like, I'm not going to get connected with these people. You know, I might like them. They might, you know, have a lot of same common interests and all that stuff, but that's really not the right thing because if their whole life is just going in the flow of this world and and your life is with the lord and it's heading in that direction how, how you know i'm not saying we should isolate ourselves into monks and not have friends and people in the world i'm not saying that but we shouldn't be really deeply connected and integrated into people that just whose lives are heading in a different direction who we hang out with because it's just a slow stepping stones most for a christian it's mostly that it's a slow moving away. You know, it's, uh, I'm just not doing this, and then, okay, you know, not that. I'm not reading my Bible as much, and then I, I'm really not praying, and then I, you know, miss some church time because, oh, we got invited to go see the movies or whatever. You know what I mean? Or go to this or that, and it's just kind of a slow, progressive thing, and you find yourself over there. That's because their flow is moving in that way, and you're spending time with them, and, you know, well, they're doing it, and, oh, you know, I guess it's not so bad. I, I don't know, you know, it happens in our minds, but we start thinking that way. And we just need to be careful. They, they chose to do this, and they found themselves over here, and as we'll see here in a minute, it just wasn't overnight. Um, but they found themselves in a wrong place, and this is really the beginning of that cycle. They chose poorly, moved away from the Lord, and then, verse 8, Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan 
Ris Athan Vath M, king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan Rashathim. Uh, I can see it in my head, but I just can't say it through my mouth. For eight years. <laughs> okay, the Lord said, if that's the direction you want to go, and if that's the way you're moving, then he just allowed them to do that. And what happened was, uh, you, know, you know, they connected their lives to those people and what they were doing and what they were a part of. They moved away from the Lord, and then here's the result. Remember, the promised land was to enter into rest. That's how the Lord described it. Again, instead of experiencing that rest in the Lord, they are experiencing oppression, fear, and slavery. They're a slave to it. Again, God allowed them to chase their own desires. And then when you chase your own desires, pretty soon you become a slave to those desires. And, you know, that's what I try to tell the boys and tell my son, you know, it's, uh, you guys know how it is with pornography. is one of those great things that's just so super addicting. And you, uh, you, know, it, you know, people say heroin's addicting, and I, I, I'm sure it is. But, you know, I, I believe that, you know, pornography is just the, s- the same way. You open that door, and you, you get a little bit, and it's just not enough. It's just more and more and more, and it's like you can't stop. Oh, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then, you know, boom, and you know how that all goes. It, it's just... Then you become a slave to it. And these guys, what seemed fun at first, turned out to be eight years of misery. You know, I was sharing uh, that Psalm 119.45, and it says, Psalm 119.45 says this, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts, or I have sought your word. And I like that, because you see, uh, the, the psalmist is saying, Lord, I sought you. I sought your word. And when I did that, I walk around free. Again, people, how do people think about the people that are Christians? Oh, man, you're just the bummer guys, right? You, uh, you go to church, that means you can't do this, and you can't go there, and you can't be a part of this, and you can't do this, and you, you, know, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do this, and you can't do these things. You know, Here I am, I could do this, that, that, whatever. And... and the reality of it is, people don't understand, is that I'm free. I, I, don't, I don't have to have alcohol to have a good time. You, on the other hand, if there's no alcohol there, you don't want to be there because there's no good time there. You have to have it. Or, or you know, you have to have this or that or what I just threw alcohol in as a off the top of my head kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, that these things you have to because, you know, that's... It won't be fun. It won't be entertaining. You won't get out of it what you want to unless you do that. While the Christian, on the other hand, is free. I'm not a slave to those things. I don't have to you know, do that to have a good time or to have fun or, or whatever it might be. It's a great thing. He says, I walk about in freedom because I had sought your word. We're free. These guys thought it was the fun road and there are now eight years into misery but verse 9 when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them and our first judge drumroll Othniel the son of Kenza Caleb's younger brother so when they got tired of 
that slavery, not the fun, but the misery that comes connected with it. Remember, you know, you know, people have described it like this. You know, what does, the, what does Satan do? What does the devil do? What's the world do in temptation? Well, it's kind of like a fisherman. What does a fisherman do? You know, he, he puts a bait on the hook that smells good, that's attractive, to, and it also hides a hook. Or it's a lure that looks like some food, but it's got a hook on it that's not shiny and easy to see. And so the fish just sees that or senses the bait in there doesn't see the hook, doesn't see the hook on the, the little spinner going by here, and, and bam, hooks onto it. And the, the devil in this world does the same thing. I dress it up, make it look good, make it look fun. And, you know, they don't tell you about the hook that you know, gets into your jaw when, when you become part of that. And you know, they grew tired of being a slave. It looked so appealing and innocent at first, but then they cried out to the Lord, in sincerity, and I believe with repentance, and guess what? The Lord answers. <laughs> now, Othniel, we ran into him, remember? We ran into him in, in the book of Joshua. He was Caleb's uh, son-in-law. Remember Caleb said, hey, listen, I'm 85 years old. I wanted to get this land 40 years ago. I know there's giants up there, but I know the Lord's with me as he was 45 years ago. I'm ready to go and take the land. And so he does that. And then he wants to even take more territory. And he says, listen, whoever takes this territory can marry my daughter. In other words, he wanted uh, his daughter to have a husband that was just like him, one that walked in faith and trust the Lord and did those things. And, and he took it and he, he got married. Now the Lord is using him. Now, what was so special about this guy? Well, nothing. Again, when we look at these judges, you guys, remember these heroes, these rescuers, um, they were people just like us. They weren't people that walked, you know, in special robes and a couple inches off the ground and, ooh, you know, had halos over their head or whatever, you know what I mean? They were people just like us. And all the Lord required was them to have faith. And, and, and again, just to call out. And he, you know, and, and the Lord raised up this guy when they called out. We need to remember that too, you know. We just need to call out on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's what he said. If you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, you know, it's a matter of coming from the heart and trueness. You call out to him, Lord, forgive me. You know, come save me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. Be my friend and forgive me of sins. And, and he comes in and he, 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 he saves us. He delivers us. And in that same kind of heart's cry, the people are crying out for that. And the Lord does that and raises up this man, Othniel. And, and notice his great feet here, verse 10. What, what gave him the skill to overcome this uh, Cushan Ris Atham in? Well, verse 10 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged, or remember, rescued or saved Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishatham M, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rasathim M. What was the secret to his victory? His strength? What made him give victory over to this guy that was enslaving them for eight years? Having the Spirit of the Lord come upon him. That was the secret to his strength. Can I just tell you that's the secret to our strength too? Walking in the Holy Spirit, 
asking the Holy Spirit to give us strength, to give us victory. Because great victory is found in the Spirit. Remember, again, these are ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. Not because, they, again, they were special or, you know, something was good about them or they were good looking or powerful or giant or muscular or this or that. No. Because they were people of faith working through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is available for us today, by the way, to have that power of the Holy Spirit to walk in His Spirit. And because of that, verse 11, so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Okay, so we learned our lesson, right? Eight years of misery. The Lord was gracious. Man, Lord, it took us eight years to turn that around or finally get to the end of ourselves. I think some of us have that testimony too, right? It took about how many years did it take us for finally <laughs> to go call out to the Lord? Probably more than, you know, we think eight years. Come on, dude, get with it, you know. But and then you look at your life, you go, wow, Lord, you know, eight years. Yeah, how long did it take me to finally call out to you? And we could see there are people just like us pretty, pretty clearly. But you think they will learn from that. God gave them grace and then rest for 40 years, but verse 12. After the 40 years and after Othniel died, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he, uh, then he gathered to himself the people of Amnon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. So 40 years of rest, and so it seems like this next generation did the same thing as the previous generation. And again, they, they head back into the sin. They get just caught up with everything else. They don't, they don't remember what had happened before, and they just head down that path. And again, the Lord says to them, listen, if that's what you want, that's what you get. You know, but you're going to become a slave to it. But the great thing is he just wouldn't allow them to be comfortable in their sin. You know, he doesn't allow us to be comfortable in our sin because he loves us too much to think, Man, just let them, you know, be all comfort and hang out. Okay, that's fine. I'm not going to bug them if that's what they want to do. No, he says, I'm not going to allow you to be comfortable there. And this Eglon comes to stir them up. And if you want to be enslaved with something, here you go. This is what you, you don't want to serve me. You want to serve something else. You get an Eglon in your life. And now you're a slave to that. And what was fun and looked good at the beginning now turns out to be something you, it's just miserable and it's 18 years of misery. And, and notice that he, he took over the city of Palms, which is also named Jericho. Now, what's so special about Jericho? That must have been disheartening, right? Because it was the first city that they conquered when they came into the land. And, and so now all of a sudden, there's somebody else ruling over them and enslaving them. Remember, when you're enslaved by somebody, you know, they're in charge of you. It's not like today. It's like, hey, you know what? I like your house. Get out. It's mine. Uh, you have uh, a car. Give it to me. Uh, let me see your wallet. I want to take, you know, I don't know how to put it on your, I, I like your phone. Give it to, you, you know, you know, oh, you got some money? Well, give it to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I got to feed my family. 
I don't care, I'm taking it. I mean, we're talking slavery like that. 18 years of misery. And um, the first city they're conquered now is ruled by a conqueror. But, verse 15, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, and notice his qualification, what makes him great and wonderful on his resume is a left-handed man. <laughs> so the Lord's faithful again. They're 18 years, and I don't know, you know if after 18 years they couldn't take anymore, or they finally reached the end and they decided to call out to the Lord. But however it was, the Lord's faithful. When they cry out to him, he delivered them. Now, again, why so long? I, I don't know, y you know. But 18 years before they finally call out to the Lord. And, uh, you know, again, we're not told much of Ehud other than his dad's name, and that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and that he was left-handed. Now, I want you to keep this in mind, because we're going to kind of read most of the rest of the chapter here. <laughs> And, and we'll talk about it because we we'll read this whole story in one shot. But I just wanted to keep you keep this in mind as we read through it. This guy is going to do some serious cloak and dagger stuff. I mean, stuff that you would see in the movies, okay? And this great act of intrigue and the spy craft and cloak and dagger kind of stuff. But again, what's his resume? What makes him so perfect for all this? Oh, he went to spy school. He worked for CIA for so many years and the FBI and the whatever, Defense Department, secret guys or whatever. Nope. He was a man that we'll see at trust of the Lord. And the only thing we know about him was he was left-handed. Doesn't sound like much of a resume to do the stuff that he's going to do. But in the Lord's hands, let's read what he does. So he was a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. So, so they would have to gather up their fruits. He demanded gold, um, probably cows and animals and crops and who knows what. He, they have to bring it to him, right? So they're, they're bringing it to him, this Eglon guy. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged, it was double-edged and a, a cubit in length. Now a cubit's about 18 inches. So it was an 18-inch double-sided dagger. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now we hear something, the Bible is pretty funny, because it describes Eglon was a very fat man. <laughs> he was a very fat man. He must have been a very fat man. And it, uh, and it says this, verse 18, And when uh, he had finished presenting the tribute, he went away. Uh, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said... So this is what Ehud's saying to the king. He says, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silent. And all the attendant, I'm sorry, and all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So then he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade 
for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. How's that for a description? <laughs> then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, well, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. In other words, he's probably going to the bathroom in <laughs> there. We're going to leave him alone. So they waited till they were embarrassed and still had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. And there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Syria. Okay, here we have of Ehud. He makes this dagger about 18 inches long and he straps it to his right thigh. Now, again, he was left-handed, so that's why he would reach over to grab it on his left side and, and use this weapon. Now, you can imagine, um, again, almost everybody, like today, is right-handed. And so when they probably went to go visit this, this, this king, the one ruling over them, and bring their tribute, you know, they probably weren't allowing anybody to carry a weapon. And so the Secret Service probably... You know, uh, this big fat guy, uh, Eglong's, you know, Secret Service probably gives him a pat down, but is not paying much attention to the right leg because if anybody's going to have something, it's going to be on their left side so they can pull it out and, and, and do some damage here. And, and so, uh, again, he, he, he got, you know, the king's attention and said, hey, uh, Eglon's attention, hey, I got, a, I got something to tell you. It's really important. Ooh, okay, great. Hey, you guys get out. He's got something to tell me. So he brings him up to a secret room up there, right there. He says he's going to give, figures he's going to give him a present or something like that. And he says, yeah, I have a message from God. And he takes out this blade as the, you know, big fat king is leaning forward to hear the secret message and just straight into the stomach. And, uh, you know, that was the end of him. That was a very brave act. But it was very well you know, uh, had it all together. I mean, he had some kind of plan where, you know, he had to shut the doors and where it was going to be, so he escaped. And again, there was nothing about this guy that was special other than he was left-handed, and obviously he trusted the Lord, and the Lord gave him all this insight of what to do. And so when that's done now, it's not over with, verse 17, and it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down from him, um, down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Verse 28, and he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Interesting. Only one guy is dead at this point, and yet he's saying, Follow me. Because the Lord has delivered them into us. You know what? Great faith. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest now for 80 years, or about two generations. Again, this simple act, 
simple thing, left-handed guy is his qualification, but he has trust in the Lord, and he does a very brave act by getting rid of this enemy king and say, Here, here's, here's a message from the Lord. And, and again, it's a great picture for us spiritually, right? You know, it, you know, the enemy, the one that's always trying to hunt us down and tempt us and draw us in there. You get a message from God. This is the end of it. I'm putting a stop to it. No more of this. Again, symbolically looking at that. And a message from God, it's over with. I'm going to deliver my people out of that evil hand and then he you know he comes down and tells the people hey listen we're gonna have victory now only one guy the king has died they still got a whole army that was oppressing them they weren't ever stronger than them if they were stronger they would have even if they had a king they would have they would have taken the broken the bondage by war a long time ago but again they were gravely outnumbered but in great faith you know you, you gotta love Ehud he says listen follow me for the Lord has delivered uh, the enemies, the Moabites, into our hand. Follow me as I follow the Lord. That's what he's saying to them. Follow me as I follow the Lord. I have faith the Lord's going to give us victory, even though we've been oppressed for 18 years. They're far superior and far stronger, but the Lord wants to save us and deliver us, so follow me. And, and what a great influence that faith had, wasn't it? I mean, wasn't it great, that influence that... That, that he did was able to like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. It's a good reminder for us, you know, as we walk in faith and trust the Lord, it's a great influence to others that are around us to trust and walk in the Lord and see what God's going to do and, and, and go in that direction. And that's what he's doing. Follow me as I follow the Lord. Something we all want to be able to say, I think. You know, the tension's not on me. But, you know, I'm following the Lord, and let's follow him together. What a great thing to remember here about this guy, Ehud, who, again, the only thing we know about him was he was left-handed. Trusted the Lord, had a great victory. Well, the last king, the last, I'm sorry, the last judge we'll look at, or, or hero, is this one, and we know all of about one sentence about him. And let's read him. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. That's the totality we know of Shamgar. Now, this is the last judge in this chapter. Uh, we know one sentence not very much. Now, you know, there's some people that think he was so well known in this time, in the times after this, that you just had to mention Shamgar. And it was, oh, I know all about Shamgar. And, you know, maybe the thinking was just simply that. He was so well known. But whether that's the case or not, or the Lord just chose, just in this sense, just not to give us much information, because I think he gives, gives us, obviously, well, he does give us, I don't think, he does give us enough um, to tell us again about who he was. Because Shamgar was given a great victory because he was some great warrior? Well, did he have some great victory killing 600 people because he had some great ninja sword and whipped it around or some AK-47 and mowed them all down or, you know, was a great guy like Robin Hood with the bow and arrows and was able to take out these guys and everything or... 
He had some great Goliath-sized spear or something. He was able to whip it around and do some crazy moves. No, you know what he used? A pointed stick. An ox goat. So get, get the picture here. Um, you, you know, you, you, you have the ox here who are going to plow the field. Well, they're not really interested in moving the plow, right? They would rather be sitting there eating grass or doing whatever, you know, cows do. And, and so you want them to move the plow. So you get a, a stick, you, you kind of sharpen it at one end, and you just give them a poke on the rear end there, right? Hey, bonk, bonk, okay, let's get going, right? And, and a lot of times that on the other side of that stick, it would be a flat, they would, they would shave it down so it was kind of a flat edge and they could clean off the, the dirt off the plow as they were going, right? If they needed to move it away, they would do that. So this is what he used. He used a pointed stick to take out 600 warriors. The Lord used what was in this guy's hand. He was a farmer. He just plowed the land. And again, the Lord just used what is in his hand, showing us it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? It's a good reminder of that. It was just the thing he had in his hand. And the Lord says, listen, I want to use you. We know that the Holy Spirit comes upon him and does miraculous things. And this day was a physical battle with 600 guys and he takes them all out. But it's, again, a reminder, what was his qualification? Was he some great soldier, had great training, and spent, you know, 25 years at the Kung Fu studio learning every move and, you know, how to throw stars and do ninja things? And, you know, was he some, you know, uh, you know SEAL team, Ranger member or something? No. It was a guy that just God used who said, listen, I want to be used by you, Lord, and the Lord used him. Remember, how did all the miraculous things happen through the hand of Moses? It was just his staff that he used when he was tending the sheep. What did God use? What was in his hand. And what was in his hand, because he was a shepherd, he used that to touch the Red Sea, to you know, strike the dirt, to have the, you know, the gnats come out, uh, to hit the uh, rock and have water come out, and all the other things he did with this, this stick for herding sheep. Or how about David? How did he take out the biggest guy on the battlefield and arguably, arguably the biggest man in the world at that time and the strongest soldier at nine feet high, some 16-year-old kid? He used what was in his hand, a slingshot, which David used to drive off like you know coyotes and wolves that wanted to attack his sheep. And so he would, he used, this, he used what was in his hand. Or in the New Testament, you know, that, that gal named Dorcas, what did she have in her hand? A needle and thread. She, she would make clothes for the people. Or how about the boy that just had, you know, five little pieces of bread and a couple pieces of fish that Jesus turned into feeding thousands. The point is, whatever you have, if you put it in the Lord's hand, he's going to use it. Well, I'm not very good at anything. It doesn't, what, what do you have to be good at? The Lord's not looking for experience and and. And, you know, well qualified. He's looking for people that want to walk by faith, that want to trust him, that want, that believe he's going to do great things and, and give you great victories in your life and use you to minister to others. And who knows what he's going to do? I, I think we'd be blown away at the things that the Lord wants to do in through our lives. We just got to trust and believe him and say, Lord, use me. I want to be used by you. What do you have? Not much. I'll work with it. <laughs> 
No problem. I'll use it. What are you? A mechanic? I'll use it. What are you? A cook? I'll use it. What are you? You know, a carpenter? I'll, 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 I'll take it. What are you? You know, a strawberry picker? I'll do it. You know, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. He wants to use it. You just got to walk in faith, put it in his hands, and he'll do great things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this time that we get to look at these things, Lord, and be reminded. And, Father, we just, um, we know the flow of this world is, is heading so far away from you in the opposite direction. And it looks good, and the bait looks fresh, and it looks tasty, and the, you know, the little... Uh, Jigs look wonderful and shiny and, and perfect like something we really want to have. And Lord, help us not to, to bite at that bait, chase after that lure and get involved in those things that would just move us away. Lord, you, you don't warn us needlessly. You love us too much and you want to see great things happen in and through our lives. And you know the traps and the slavery we find ourselves in when we go in that flow. We're just a slave to... Maybe just be anger or bitterness or gossip or this or that. I mean, the list is just is, is as much as there are different people. But it's all those things that just lead away from you, Father. And I pray that we'd be those that, you know, realize we're that's heading in that direction and we're not going to go in that flow. We're going to walk in faith and trust you, Lord. And Yep, there's going to be battles, and yep, there's going to be difficulties, and yes, there's going to be tough times, but your promise is just to see us through and to give us victory and to do great things in and through our lives. And, and Lord, that you'll turn all those things out for good. That's your promise to us. May we remember that as well, Father. And may we go out in faith as Shamgar did, Lord, and use what was in his hand, and you did mirac- I mean, miraculous things. And again, when we get to Samson, I think the guy weighed probably 100 pounds because they couldn't figure out how this guy could fight because there was nothing about him that made him think that he was some kind of powerful warrior. And, and that's because you do regular things through regular people. You do great things through regular people, extraordinary things. When we give our lives to you, help us to be those people, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.